Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 1. These are the words of the living God. Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near then came, who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So so neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for another opportunity to come into your house and to worship your holy name. We pray that you would be with us now as you instruct us and help us to hear 
from you. Let all distractions be cleared out of this room and help us to be focused as you speak. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so how do we get to the book of Nehemiah? Well, as we said last week, Israel has been in uh, captivity to their enemies in foreign lands. They were first carried off by Assyria and then Babylon, who leveled the city, uh, destroyed the temple, and brought the rest of the Israelites into captivity. And this was all done in accordance with the law of God. God promised that if they obeyed him in the land, they would remain in the land and they would be fruitful. But if they disobeyed him, they would be conquered by the nations round about and they would be carried off into exile, into a foreign land. Now, after Babylon conquered Israel, Babylon was conquered by the Persians. And last week we looked at some of the things that happened to Daniel and his friends while they were uh, in captivity in Babylon and in Persia. And since then, Cyrus, the king of the Persians, has been sending the people back into Israel to uh, rebuild the city and the temple. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book because they speak of the joint venture of the Israelites going back into uh, Jerusalem under the leadership of these two men, Ezra and Nehemiah, to rebuild and to uh, reform. Prior to the events that take place in our text uh, today, there have been two other uh, caravans of Israelites who have gone back to Jerusalem, and they've made some considerable progress, um, but... The work is not finished. The wall is still broken down and uh, the city is in tatters. Or the the wall, the gates of the city are in tatters. Uh, In the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, he gets word that this is the case and he makes it his aim to go back and ensure that this work is taken up and completed. So, as those other caravans went back, they completed the building of the temple and they actually dedicated it Uh, But as I said, the wall has not yet been rebuilt. And in the ancient Near East, the wall is a great line of defense. If you don't have a wall, uh, your enemies can just come in and ransack your city. So ultimately, if they didn't get this wall finished, the temple and the city and the inhabitants had no hope. All right, let's look back at verses 1 through 3. And... Uh, we'll read that. I'll give some brief explanation and then sort of an introduction to our sermon today. So in verse 1, Now when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. All right, so at this point, excuse me, Nehemiah has already been given permission by the king of Persia to go back into the land and begin building the wall. And the king has sent him with a cohort of his men along with letters that give him sort of royal permission uh, to do this work. And when he gets back into that 
particular province where Jerusalem is located, he brings these letters around to uh, all of the governors there. And this creates no little stir among the rest of the rulers in the lands and the region round about. The key antagonist in our story are Sanballat, who we've already read about, and Tobiah and Geshem, who are mentioned in chapter 2 when this confrontation first begins. Uh, But before everything is said and done, all the men from the region round about are coming up against Jerusalem, and they want to kill the people and put a stop to the work. And in our passage today, we will see that we are very much in the same situation. Uh, God has commissioned us, and he has called us to build his kingdom here in this world, and the enemy does not like it. We will face opposition. So what are we to do? Well, in Nehemiah's day, they prayed and they kept building. They rallied together and they fought. They strategized and they did not relent until God gave them the victory. And we must do the same. So the first thing that I want you to notice about this section is that the enemies of God initially begin their attack by jeering at the Jews. This is to say that they make fun of them. Uh, They ridicule them. They mock them. Sambalot says, what are these Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? In other words, he doesn't think the Jews have the wherewithal to do this thing uh, in and of themselves. And then he says, will they offer sacrifice? That is, uh, is their God going to come and, and help them? Is he going to uh, intervene or something like this? He doesn't think it's possible. So he's casting aspersions on their God. He says, will they finish in a day? Uh, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Here he's saying, are, are they going to be able to get this done quickly? Do they even have the material to carry out the work that uh, they're doing in the first place? So in short, he is mocking their abilities, he is mocking their God, he is mocking their intentions, and he is mocking the means by which they are uh, seeking to carry out the work that God has called them to do. So what do the people do? We see in verses 4-6, through they pray, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So what do the people of God do when they are confronted with ridicule? They pray and they get back to work. They pray and they get back to work. They do not fret. They do not uh, ridicule in return. They do not rally uh, the troops. But they pray and turn to God trusting that He has called them to do this thing and that He will be with them in it to carry it out until the work is finished. They do not lose sight of the goal. Um, They keep their mind on the prize. But they work uh, uh, towards that end uh, and the the, uh, goal that they had in mind from the very beginning, trusting God to be with them to accomplish it. And the text says that they got the wall built halfway up because they had a mind for the work. That is, they got together with one goal and with one 
common purpose in mind, and they worked on it until they had made some real progress, not allowing the taunts of the enemy to hinder them from the work that they knew God had called them to do. So what happens next in verse 7? But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Okay, so we see at the beginning that all the enemies of God's people from the surrounding lands are gathered together against the Jews to put a stop to the work that they are doing of rebuilding this wall. So they are surrounded on all sides, and the enemy is encroaching. And it says that they were angry, and they plotted to come up and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. Uh, This is to say... It seems like they planned on coming up to try and dishevel the people through their uh, threats. They wanted to get everybody whipped up so that no work was being done. They wanted to get the people off track, and ultimately, they wanted to kill them and put a stop to the work. Two more things that I want to point out. One, again, they prayed. And two, in verses 9 and 13, they do. They pray and they do. In verses 9 and 13, we see that they set up a guard for protection. Uh, Nehemiah organizes the people around the wall where there are holes uh, in order to shore up their defenses. He organizes a defense, making sure that the weak places in the wall were guarded best, and in this way, the enemies would not be able to penetrate their ranks. Now, friends, we are in very very much the same situation as the Jews who were living in the days of Nehemiah. The church has made some real progress in the world. You could say that the wall has been built up a good little bit, but by no means is the work finished. The work of reformation in the church is a continual effort that we must commit ourselves to until the very end. And just as it was in the days of Nehemiah, the unbelieving world has seen that the church is making progress, and they do not like that. They do not want us to fortify the city of our God here in the world because we're encroaching on their territory. Uh, The cities of uh, the world and the city of God are fundamentally in conflict with one another. God has began a global takeover that began with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the kingdom of God advances in this world, it is going to run into opposition uh, from the kingdoms of this world since it is gaining ground that used to be theirs. And we ought not to be surprised when the enemy jeers at us. Remember, they mocked Nehemiah and his friends and said that what they were doing was futile. And it is no different in the day in which we are living 
The unbelieving world is constantly lobbing attacks at Christianity. Can you think of uh, any of the insults that the world is lobbing at Christians today? They say things like, you know, that book that they study and that they love so much is, is ancient and outdated. It's, it's filled with myths and fairy tales and fables and what could it possibly have to say to the 21st per, uh, century person living in America today? That doesn't have anything to say to me at all. <clears throat> the world thinks that some of the stories in our Bible are absurd. They say, come on, you really believe that, uh, that a man was swallowed by a giant fish and that he lived in his belly for three days? You really believe that? That's a taunt that you'll hear. Do you, do you really believe that God parted the waters of the Red Sea and that the people traveled through on dry, uh, dry ground? Come on, there's got to be some sort of a natural, naturalistic explanation for that phenomena. You know, they'll say things like, that ground where they traveled across, it, it was just a marsh, you know, it was a wetland. There wasn't very much water there anyway. All it took was a good storm surge to blow it out of the way so that they could walk across, right? You'll hear things like this. And that's except for the fact that the Bible says that exactly when Moses stretched his staff out over the sea that the waters parted, right? Was that a coincidence? Or when he walked through the, the, when the children of Israel walked through the sea that there were two walls of water on either side of them. And after the Israelites got through and the Egyptians just happened to be in the middle, the walls of water came down and crashed and drowned them. That was a coincidence too, right? We have to remember when these objections are leveled at the church that we serve an all-powerful God for which none of these things is too hard. They say, you actually believe that God parted the waters of the Red Sea? You say, well, yes, yes I do. And I, I also believe that He created everything out of nothing. <laughs> you know, like one day there was nothing and then He said, let there be and there was everything. Yeah, I, I believe that. These things are easy for God. You see, the problem is not whether God is able to do these things. If God is able, if God is who He says He is, then He is able to do these things. The problem that the world has with God is the fact that He places demands upon their lives as His creatures. And they do not like that because God calls us to live a holy and obedient life. And so it's a moral problem. <clears throat> And what liberal Christianity has tried to do for years is explain away some of these harder truths of uh, the Bible uh, by saying that they are just myths, that they are good moral platitudes and all these other things that they are not to try to make them more palatable to the world. And friends, we have to be on guard against this. The only truth that will set the world free is the unadulterated, pure, uncut Word of God delivered just as it is found in Holy Scripture. We don't tinker with it. We don't try to make it more acceptable. We don't try to make it sound more reasonable to those who we are speaking, but we preach it as it is and it sets the world free. You see, we're, we're trying to come up with answers for all of these problems that we have in our society today with respect to uh, race and gender and inequality and 
justice, and all the rest. And we cannot just take some of the doctrines of man out there in the world and kind of put a Christian spin on them and think that they're actually going to have any real effect on the world and on the issues of our day in the long run. We must have an unswerving commitment to the Word of God and the doctrines found therein. We must begin all of our thinking right here with the Bible. And if we do, we truly will build walls that are impenetrable for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are some of the holes in the walls today? What are some of the ways in which we can shore up our defenses? I asked the guys in our meeting the other day, uh, Kirk said, we don't believe the Bible. I think that's a good one. We don't take the Word of God and believe it. We have the Word of God in our hands. Many of us have multiple copies of the Word of God in our home in different translations and different shapes and different sizes and different color bindings on it. We have all the answers to the world's ills right here in our Bibles and we leave them on our shelves. And what we need to do is take them and believe them. And we believe it by acting on it. We show that we truly do believe the things that are said in our Bibles by doing them. And if we truly did do that, we believed what God said in His Word, and what God says about Himself and man and the societies um, in which we are living today, I think we would truly turn the world upside down just like they did in the first century. Right? The, the apostles believed the Word of God, took it as it was, and they went and they preached it. The Bible says the world was turned upside down. <clears throat> That's what we need today. <clears throat> Lastly, I want to mention this business about praying and doing. Uh, this is a pattern that we see throughout the story. The enemy taunts, and they pray and build. Uh, the enemy plots against them, and they pray and they organize their defenses. You see, a lot of times we pray and we don't do, excuse me, or we do and we don't pray. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times we will run off without having prayed and try to figure things out and do them in our own strength. And only after we've made a mess of everything do we pray afterwards, right? Or sometimes we'll pray and... uh, Uh, Sometimes we'll pray and we don't do anything. We just sit there waiting for some sort of sign. you know. And I'm not saying it's always wrong to pray and wait, but the pattern that we see here in our text today is to pray and do. It's to pray and do. We pray and trust that God is going to be with us to do whatever He has called us to. So we must pray and do, and we must pray and act knowing that God is going to be with us. And it's through our actions that God is going to bring answers to our prayers and to uh, change to the world. All right. Let's look at the rest of the story in verse 14. We read, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I love 
Nehemiah's exhortation here. He says, do not be afraid, but remember the Lord who is to be feared, which is actually what the word awesome means there. Remember the Lord who is to be feared and fight. He says the only person that you really need to fear is God. Right? And if God is with you, then who can be against you? If He's on your side, you have nothing to fear. So they're not to be afraid. They are to remember who God is, and they are to fight for their brothers, sons, daughters, wives, and homes. That is, uh, they are to fight for their families. They are to fight for their livelihood. And in verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Remember, we said that Nehemiah stationed the people who were working on the wall in the, strategically in different places where there were holes uh, to shore up their fences. So the enemy's plan to infiltrate their ranks was foiled. The text says God frustrated their enemies. And when Israel was made privy to their plot, they didn't get flustered or flummoxed or anything else. They prayed, organized defense, and God thwarted their enemies' uh, plans against them. In verse 16, From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Okay, so there's three things that I want to point out here in this section. The people remain on guard while they work. That's one. They remain on guard while they work. The people rallied together to focus on a specific task. That's two. And the people do not relent from their work. So first, the people remain on guard while they work. Uh, Nehemiah organizes the people so that half of them uh, do construction and the other half hold uh, the weapons. So he has his workers and his fighters. And the text says that the leaders of Judah stood behind them. This is to say that the Leaders of Judah were supporting the people, that they encouraged the people in the work that they were doing. And further, he tells us that even the construction workers had weapons. The guys that were um, carrying debris or, or um, materials for the wall, possibly, they had a sword in one hand and their other hand was used to work. And then the construction workers, the guys that were doing the actual construction, they had a sword on their on their side so that they could fight at any time. They were ready to uh, defend, but they needed both their hands free to do the work of construction as well. 
So this is strategic. Uh, the people are under attack while they work. They are working within hostile territory, and so they must take every measure to make sure that they are ready to fight at any time. So that's one, the people remain on guard while they work. Two, the people rally together to focus on a specific task. Uh, Since the people were so spread out in the work, if the enemy were to attack, they needed a way to rally the troops. And so Nehemiah, the leader, has his trumpeter with him, and he tells the people, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet blown, come and rally together in that one place where you hear the trumpet so that they can continue to defend and the work would move forward. And Nehemiah says, and our God will fight for us. And when they came together to do the work that God had called them to, he definitely would be on their side uh, and give them the victory. That's what he's getting at. Finally, uh, the people do not relent from their work. The text says that they worked from the break of dawn until the stars came out. That is, they worked all day long. Uh, They did not stop the work. Uh, And they even did not go back to their homes. It says that they stayed within Jerusalem. That way they could remain diligent in the work. They did not go uh, back to their houses in the surrounding regions. Moreover, he finishes by saying, none of us took our clothes off. He kept his weapon at his right hand. Uh, Now, the Hebrew is unclear here, but the best translation leads us to the interpretation that even when the men laid down to rest at night, they kept a sword in their right hand. You know, kind of like, you know, people keep their uh, gun at their bedside nowadays on their nightstand or whatever. None of you do that, right? (laughs) So in other words, even when it was time to rest or to lie down, they, they stayed on guard for the fight. Listen, folks, the exhortation that Nehemiah gave to the people is just as valid today as it was then. As we build and fight, uh, we are not to be afraid. We are to remember that our God is um, awesome and dreadful. And He is the only one that we ought to fear. And He is with us. And so we, uh, nobody can be against us. And we are to continue the fight, fighting for the sake of our families. Uh, friends, we are to remember that the work that we do today or the lack thereof, is going to have an effect on our children and our grandchildren. They are going to inherit the work that we do in the world today. And if we have not continued to build and fight as grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and sisters and brothers, our children are going to suffer. They are going to reap the repercussions of our faithlessness or faithfulness in the world today. But we're focusing on faithlessness. We're faithless, they will suffer. This is to say, they will be persecuted, they will come under tyrannies, they will lose more and more of their freedoms, and they may even be in danger of death. But if we continue to work hard and to build and to fight, we are working to advance the kingdom of of God in the world and create greater and greater freedoms for our children and our children's children. Another thing that I think we can learn from the story of Nehemiah is that he had a strategic plan to carry out the work that needed to be done. They inspected to see where the holes were in the walls. They made sure that people were stationed there. 
They made sure everybody was ready to fight at any given time, and they did not give up on the work. Friends, many of you are gifted in many different ways, but no matter how you are gifted, you must build and you must fight. You must be on guard. All of us have been called to this work. Everybody must fight and everybody must rally together in this fight. Moreover, we need vision. Uh, we need a plan. We need a, a strategy. We have to have a target, you know, something to aim at. Uh, In the days of Nehemiah, they were building a wall, but at any given time, there were different places on the wall that they needed to focus on, and it is the same in the day in which we are living. We have been placed in a very specific context, Princeville, Illinois. And God is using us to do a very specific work here, and we need to figure out what that is and rally together and build and defend. We need to figure out a strategy so that we can effectively continue to build the wall here. And if we're going to do that, the first thing is first, we need to shore up our defenses. We need to make sure that we are united together and working together as one so that we can focus together on one common goal and one common cause because the enemy is going to sneak in and try to divide us. Now, why would the devil want us to be divided? Why would he want us to fight with each other? Well, because then we're not fighting with him, right? If we fight against one another. So this is the trumpet call. Just as Nehemiah blew the trumpet and the people rallied together, today I am blowing the trumpet and saying we need to rally together and build. We need to be united. We need to be agreed. We need to build relationships and trust with one another so that we can focus on this goal, whatever it is, as we move forward. We need a vision. Now, what is our vision? I'll be honest with you, I don't know yet. And that is why I need you. That vision and that mission that God has called this church to is going to come from you. God is going to birth that inside of you. And if you think God is showing you something that we ought to be doing together as a church, come talk to me about it. Or one of the elders or one of the other leaders in this church so that we can begin to focus on that thing, whatever it is. So we can begin to talk about it and and strategize and formulate a plan so that we can build that thing, whatever it is. I can tell you one thing for sure that I've noticed since I've been here. This church is committed to the children in this community. That's for sure. Um, We have built a basement downstairs that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? A lot of money to invest in these children so that we can minister to them and to their families. And I think it's a great start. It's good. Right there, we are planning and we are building for the future. We've built the means to do it. Now how do we carry on that work? We've built the means to do it. How do we carry on the work? Because just like in the days of Nehemiah, we cannot relent. We must keep working. We must keep building. We must keep fighting until Christ comes. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about whatever you think it is uh, God is 
revealing to you that we could be doing better as a church so that we can serve this community well, so that we can have the most impact as a church at any moment for the sake of our families and for our community and for the kingdom of Jesus Christ right here in Princeville, Illinois. So in conclusion, we've seen that in the days of Nehemiah, as they built and did work for the kingdom of God, they ran into opposition from the enemy. Surprise, surprise. And therefore, they had to pray and continue to build, trusting God to be with them to carry out the work that he had called them to. They had to rally. They had to strategize. They had to be diligent. And we too have to be diligent. We too have been called to build the kingdom of God here in this world, and we are going to run up against opposition. You can count it. Mark it on your calendar. It's coming. Okay? The enemy will mock us. The enemy will plot against us, but we must continue to pray and do. And we must be committed to carrying out the work that God has called us to in Princeville. And in order to do that, we must be united. It's not going to happen if we're not united. We must have a focus. And we must be on guard at every moment for the enemy will seek to divide us. But if we, if we set our sights together on the goal of the prize, the call of God to serve Christ here in our town, we will accomplish the work that He has called us to. We will build His kingdom here, and the enemy will flee. <clears throat> 